Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I like the sound of that. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Star Wars Fun for Everyone. I'm your host, Tom Sutton. There's a lot of Star Wars to talk about, uh, mostly because I didn't get around to recording last week. Uh, so we've got two episodes of The Mandalorian to talk about. Uh, there's going to be more Clone Wars rewatch reflections. And uh, yeah, just some other random Star Wars thoughts. And we're getting close to the end of our uh, Rise of Skywalker scene-by-scene rewatch. So, I don't know. We might even get to the end. Let's see what happens. But, um, yeah, here I am. I've got a bit of the Tibetan bowls going on. Um, So, hopefully you get some of that peace and relaxation whether you can hear them or not. But uh, let's get into it. The last two episodes of The Mandalorian. Um, Wow, there's so much to talk about. So, um, I guess chapter 9, 10, 11, which is uh, the third episode of um, season 2. It was a banger, and um, I mean, people loved it. I like I people have gone crazy for this episode. For me personally, um I thought that there were you know, I thought it was great. Um I thought it was less consistent than the first two episodes of the season. Uh and we'll get into why in a moment, but um some stuff that I loved about it. Um I mean Frog Lady, awesome. I have to say like I am very pleased to see how um, how popular Frog Lady has been. Uh, she <laughs> she really has um, has her own uh, little fan base now, and that moment when she is um, reunited with Frog Husband that was genuinely touching. Like I felt a little. Uh, Frog in my throat, if you will. <laughs> so um, loved that that re- the the Razor Crest re-entry to the planet was incredible. Um, yeah, just some nice uh, little Star Wars details, like seeing the Mon Calamari and the Quarren living together. Um, Something we'll get to later is the fact that I've just watched the uh, the Water War episodes um, of the Clone Wars, which deal with uh, the Mon Calamari and the Quarren. Um, a lot of been a lot has been made of the uh, the sweater and scarf style of the Mon Calamari on Trask here. Yeah, I know it's it's breaking the rules of Star Wars. Um, Star Wars clothing a little bit, but it looks good. Like uh, so, I think it uh, it gets by. It gets by like that. Um. Uh. What else was great about the episode? Um. Yeah, I think. Um, again, like visually, the the trend for this season continues, where everything just looks really good. Excuse me. 
Um, yeah, everything just looks really good. Um, it's really um, like the used universe uh, is a hundred percent there. Everything looks nice and grimy. I love that. Um, but uh, that was great. Um, that stuff on the boat where that Quarren just hockey pucks Baby Yoda into um, that Mama Core tank. Pfft, awesome. Now, um, of course, you know, the, 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 the point that has really connected the most strongly with a, a large section of the fandom is that um, none other than Bo-Katan herself shows up to save the day, flanked by a couple of uh, other cool Mandalorians. Um, Cosca Reeves, um, played by Mercedes Vernado, and uh, Axe Woves, played by uh, a dude. <laughs> um, yeah, that was cool. I felt like this is a, a mo one of the moments where, where I... Um, which like um, illustrates why I felt the the episode was less consistent, shall we say, than the first two episodes of the season. Um, it, like in that fight scene when they arrive, there are some great moments, but also like, for example, there's a shot where one of the Mandalorians fires like a, I don't know, one of those tow cable kind of things, snags one of the Quarren by the legs and pulls him over, and it's cool, but it just. To me, it didn't look fast enough or something. Like, and I just feel like if that was a, if it had been a, on a movie budget, they would have had the extra half a day or something to kind of go like, well, it looks all right, but how do we get it faster and more dynamic or or, or whatever? I don't know. I'm not a filmmaker, so I can't say for sure. But um, it was still really cool. Um, the look of the, like they look really good. Like the outfits are like. Like the costume, costuming department did a great job, but I have to say, like seeing Bo-Katan in live action like that, if you, I don't know, it's something, especially the 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 kind of um, the graphics or the decals on the helmet, to me that looks a little bit like animated, too. Like it just brings the animated world to mind a bit too strongly or something for me. But I mean, the three of them looked cool together. Um, the uh, the explanation for why Din Djarin is that way about his helmet or how his covert were about keeping their helmets on all the time. Um, it was just like really efficiently done and made perfect sense. So I thought that was fantastic. Um, yeah, I, uh, that... Imperial ship that they went after looked super cool. Um, I love the afterburners on them. That looks super cool. Um, I think there were some killer action moments there. I think when Cosca, when they're still in the outside guardrail and Cosca Reeves lands, grabs a dude and then just jetpacks into the air and then a few moments later... When you're in the cockpit of the ship and you see that stormtrooper just <laughs> land on the windshield. Yeah, super nicely done. I love that. Um, I think I thought the action scenes were cool. Um, 
but not super cool. Um, and um, one thing, uh, I'm not the only one who's who's noticed this, but why wouldn't they get British actors to do the to to do the uh, Imperial officers? Like I know it's there have been Imperial officers in the past, not played by British people. Uh, director Krennic, for example. But I just think that uh, crisp British accent is such a part of that um, that vibe. So um, I felt uh, like um, they were the, the actors who played those officers did a great job. But um, I I just think like a, a British accent for those two would have really put it over the edge for me. Um, something and this uh, this applies to this episode and. The following episode. I I would like to see stormtroopers be a bit more effective, at least once or twice. It's kind of. It's almost ridiculous. Like, uh, they really are useless. <laughs> um. Yeah, a little bit. Like, I would like to see them. Uh, get it right at least once or twice at some point just to um, reintroduce some threat to the stormtroopers. Uh, one of the cool moments is uh, when uh, Din Djarin, you know, decides to get some grenades into that final knot of stormtroopers and he, like, runs out into uh, into the them firing on him and he just is getting pummeled with uh, blaster fire and um, again that that the sound design on how it sounds when those blaster bolts hit the armor and everything is just killer and just the fact that he was yeah like just going for it and putting himself on the line was great um, nice to see Moff Gideon f turn up that was cool I like the line um Long live the Empire. That was cool. Um, of course, an, uh, another of the biggest moments of the episode for a lot of people was... Um, mm, was uh, hearing Ahsoka Tano's name. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, I think... Like, I'm super optimistic about how she's going to work in live action, actually. I think that visually, you know, with because um, she's quite colourful, and the the face markings and everything, it's it's pretty heavy. It is a bit of an animated style, um, but I think if they just tone the colours down, that 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 that'll work. And that, um, I mean, Rosario Dawson, assuming it is actually her playing the character. I mean, we haven't. Um, we haven't seen her yet. <laughs> that almost con confirmed rumor could... Uh, it's still not exactly uh, for sure that she's playing her, but I, let's say that she is. I think, like, Rosario Dawson is a personal favorite of mine. I love her. Um, I think that, like, physically and in the face, she is a perfect choice for Ahsoka. Um... And I also think, like, I mean, there's been a, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not um, 
you know, what, what does it mean to not have Ashley doing the voice? And can we accept the character? And is it being mean to Ashley? And hamana, hamana, hamana. Um, yeah, I mean, those are all good points. One thing that will help, I think, is that, um, like, this is an... I guess this is the oldest we've ever seen the character. So it, to me, it's all right to, in a way, to have the voice be different. I think that that's going to be all right. Um, yeah. So overall, I would say um, it had some incredible moments. Um, it was a very, like, I mean, just some great shots, like that one where Din Jaren is looking out on that Corrin vessel and you see um, the Mandalorians, I guess, blow the shit out of it and uh, take off into the air. It was just a really nice looking shot. Um, some really great stuff like that. I just think um, the, the only thing that would have um, really convinced me on that is um, like that, you know, that would have pushed it up to being a favorite would have been like um, just a little bit more polish, a little bit more snap to some of the action sequences. So, yeah, um, really good episode. Uh, then we jump into the most recent chapter, uh, The Siege. Um, again, really good episode. I really liked it, um, but maybe not... Um, like the first two episodes of the season, I, I, I didn't have to, or I had to do almost no work to make myself like it <laughs> in a way. Like, like I, I would say, especially like the second episode, it, you know, it's maybe didn't have so many big important moments in it, um, story or plot wise, but, um, like a, there were no instances where I was just like, oh, I'm going to have to squint my eyes through this bit a little, you know. Um, and, the, and the first episode only had like a little bit of that kind of stuff. Overall, it was just like, mm, I'm getting fed Star Wars the way I like it. Um, but I feel like that these last two have had a few more moments where I'm like, okay, this is, this is TV Star Wars, isn't it? Um, um, so yeah, this episode had some of that again. Now, we, well, let's start with those, the, the, the things I, I like, I don't like as, nah, okay, start at the start of the episode, because that sequence of, uh, Din and Baby Yoda <laughs> trying to get Baby Yoda to, uh, plug the right wire in. I just think, like, that's the secret weapon of the show, is that, like, whimsical aspect that Baby Yoda brings. Um, and it was just so funny, and I'm sure for parents, extremely relatable. Um, it was so... It just And the fact that it just went... went it just kept on going for ages. <laughs> um, it was super charming. Uh, yeah, I loved that. Okay, which leads us into the next scene, which is Cara Dune clearing out um, the old Mandalorian covert, which has been taken over by some crooks. They look like Ponda Baba, but I'm, I'm not 
I don't think it is the same species, actually. Um, I have to do a bit of research on that. I like them. I liked the idea that this uh, this place had been taken over by uh, by uh, baddies, basically. Um, but maybe this is a good time to talk about uh, Cara Dune. Listen, like the stuff about Gina Carano and her relationship with the trans community, her um, sharing of, you know, like right-wing stuff on uh, her Twitter or whatever. Um, like, I mean, that doesn't help, I guess. Um, but I just, I'm just not into the character. I'm sorry. I'm just not. And I thought I was going to be because... Um, before the show started, she was so like, so, so, so cool, so charming at the, at the Star Wars celebration. She was so happy to be there and I was so happy for her that this was, you know, this, um, amazing thing had come into her life. Uh, I thought that was really great. Uh, I couldn't wait to see her in as that character, but I just, I think it's a visual thing. I don't like the look of the character. And I've been trying to nail down what it is. But I think it's a combination of a few things. Number one, the hair. To me, it's a little bit too, like, edgy, like, cool sci-fi hair. Like, if if I was going to play a, like, a cyberpunk video game and there were characters with that hair, I would be like, yeah, that fits, you know. But to me, it's, it's a little bit too quote-unquote cool for Star Wars somehow and um, the outfit I just don't feel like it looks weathered enough and that there's something about the big shoulder pads that it's like a almost like an American football silhouette that to me is not Star Wars like I've been thinking about this there's really like a not there's not a lot of big like macho or like muscular looking characters I mean, you have some big, bigger characters. You have like Darth Vader, you have Chewbacca, but Chewbacca is, of course, like a lanky beanpole. And Vader, he's big, but um, it's more about that helmet and the cape, that kind of silhouette. So to have that kind of like muscle, you know, muscly kind of tough look, uh, it's not really working for me. I just think that if they had... And also that turquoise green I don't like. So I think it's like a combination of these things. I just, I think that if they had put a bit more wear and tear on that, on the, on the outfit, put a bit of a, like, um, a frayed scarf or, or like half cape or poncho or something just to make her feel, because like when you meet her, She's she's on the run pretty much, you know, because you've got bounty hunters looking looking for her. So, um, you know, because of course there are like nicely dressed characters in Star Wars. That's not new. Like when you see Han Solo, his clothes are, they don't look that messed up or whatever. Lando Calrissian doesn't, you know, he look, looks, Mon Mothma. Of course, there's a lot of characters that have nice... Um, Nice, you know, un, 
weathered looking um, outfits. But um, I just felt like she's a warrior. She's a fighter um, and she's on the run. I just think that that outfit should have looked really a lot more um, weathered and that they could have done something to give it a bit more coolness and not have this like American football kind of uh, silhouette to it. Um, and then also, I'm so sorry to say this, but I just don't think she's a very good actress. Um, I I feel like, you know, when you see someone who's experienced or just like a, a natural, you just feel like the, the, the character is alive in front of you. And when I see her, I'm a, I, I get this feeling of someone who's not that ex you know not that confident in her abilities really and she's i'm watching her trying to act rather than just watching her act um so having said that that uh opening action scene with her as the marshal clearing out the old mandalorian covert it was cool i liked uh i liked the weasel um there were some really cool Moves with her, like, you know, flipping people over and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I I liked that. It was cool. Uh, nice to see Carl Weathers. I, I liked Grief Cargo in the first season. But I felt some of that super stagey delivery, like, Mando, you have blah, 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 blah. Like, it was like, I just felt it was... You know, a lot of people liked it. They said, like, it's very stylized, but it somehow it sits in the Star Wars style nicely. I always, I always felt it was a little bit over the top. But in this episode, I actually found him really watchable and and, and uh, I liked him a lot. Um, it was pretty cool to see the Mithril back. I was not a fan of him in episode one just because I'm not the first person to say this. The um, when you have like a humanoid character with a few changes to make them a bit alien looking, that's kind of a Star Trek look, especially if they speak in a completely normal, like native English speaking voice. If he looked like if he had that blue fish face look, but he talked a bit like or whatever. Bam, you're selling that as a Star Wars alien character. Um, but um, so, yeah, I and a lot of people felt that uh, that those combination of factors made him not feel really like a Star Wars character. Um, but having said that, he was great in this episode. That moment when he first sees the, Mandal the, the Mandalorian and he just traps himself and... <laughs> And the, you know, the pheromones or whatever just psst, go, come come out of him like a uh, really nice comedic touch. Um, that was cool. Baby Yoda in school. It was good. It wasn't the mega comedy hit moment that it could have been, I guess. Um, partly because, okay, like, when people shoot scenes of eating in film and TV... Um, 
most of the time they are fake eating. And the reason for this is that you, of course, have to do multiple takes of each scene. And if you're only, you know, if you nail it in two or three takes, then great, this is going to work. But, um, it, you know, you have no way of knowing, so it could take more takes than that. So, of course, you kind of, you might only have a certain amount of food there to be used. And B, if you're eating all the time for take after take, you you get to the point where you can't keep eating, obviously. As uh, this apparently happened, if anyone's seen a TV series called Dave, there was one scene in which the guy kind of playing himself um, has a, like a meal at his parents' house that happened to be like his favorite meal that his mum would make. And he was like, shit, yeah. And he was just like tearing into it. And then like, within four takes, he was just like, oh, do I have to keep eating? You know. So I just felt the kid in that scene was doing some pretty obvious fake eating, which was a bit of a, just bugged me for some reason. And is it weird that those, those were very recognizable as uh, earthly blue, like macaroons? I mean that that is a pretty um that is a pretty spacey food I guess. Actually I kind of want to go get some. Where can I get some? I need to go buy some. And then I'm going to start a, an internet trend of uh taking photos of yourself eating blue macaroons with some blue macaroons stuck to your face. It's going to be the the newest Star Wars craze. It's going to be amazing. Um but it was cool. I liked I like those bits, not super like, but it was great. Um, all right, breaking into that facility, pretty cool. Um, I have to say, like every shot actually of the Mandalorian with his jetpack, big thumbs up. That shit could have looked really cheesy, but they've got it just right. I just, I think it's got the right movement, the right pace, sound effects, everything. It's it's really good. Um, I really liked the, um, that little, there's no guardrail joke. Like, I don't know how, should there be a lot of self-referential, like, in-jokes in Star Wars? I think you've got to be a bit careful about that. I mean, we had that in this episode, and then we had, like, direct quotes from, um, from stormtroopers in, I think, from A New Hope, where you know, like, um, all right, men, load your weapons. It's them, blast them, or whatever. Uh, you know, um, it can be a little bit too self-referential, I guess. But if yeah, yeah, if you just keep it under control, then I think it's all right. Um, the action scenes of like the infiltrating. And you know, running and gunning. I call I call these scenes running and gunning because you see it in a lot of the Star Wars films. And I just want to compare here. This is what I'm talking about when I say like this doesn't kick as much ass as the as the movies do. So in the Rise of Skywalker, where uh, Poe, Finn, Chewie are going through the um, the hallways of that of uh, Kylo Ren's Star Destroyer, 
and uh, blasting stormtroopers. It's just orchestrated and choreographed so nicely. It's got it's got pep. I love it. Um, whereas these scenes, to me, it felt just got a bit like they just felt a bit loose or floppy or and repetitive somehow. Um, not that didn't suck, you know. Um, but this is what I'm talking about when I say I think there are moments that remind me that I'm watching a TV show, not a film. Um, now, big moment with Doctor Pershing, the um, the cloning guy from the early episodes of season one, and whatever we see in those tanks, talking about M count midichlorians, people, they're back. It's weird, like, I fucking hate midichlorians, and I just think that's one of the, like, one of the biggest own goals in the prequels is introducing that concept. But, um, I think, you know, now, 20 years later, I've just kind of accepted it to some degree, and just even that little thing of calling it, of, like, referring to the M count, um... It, I didn't actually have to hear the word midichlorian. It helped me. It helped me. And in a way, it like it helps with uh, with explaining what's going on and with the science of that of it and whatever. So it, it's not it's not all, it's not that bad. Uh, I quite like that. Um, and just getting that window, that like first glimpse into understanding why they want uh, the child so badly. Um, so as far as we can tell, they're taking blood from baby Yoda and like injecting it into people um i have to rewatch that episode actually with the with the uh, subtitles on cuz there's so much uh, information that rushes past you in such a short amount of time um but you see some figures in tanks now of course the big question has been is that are they snoke clones um I mean, they look pale, they look tall, and they have this, like, kind of dented look to the head. So, they absolutely could have been, I think. But, I don't know. It was not clear enough to be for sure. And I feel like if they really, if it was Snoke, they would have let you know that that's what it was. But, um, yeah, so... the. You you see in the, you hear in the dialogue there that they they talk about that the amount of blood that they were able to take from Baby Yoda has now run out, and uh, that they would have trouble finding another candidate with that high an M count. Um, but that's cool. I'm glad that they are starting to um, reveal a bit more of that. That's really cool. Um, now the um, the escape in that troop transport was cool. I think like launching it off that cliff and then just landing on the speeder <laughs> as a way of breaking their fall. The, the the classic like everyone screaming in the cockpit shot was cool. Um, and man, I gotta say those speeder bikes taken off out of that hangar. I mean, 
Return of the Jedi will always be the speeder bike scene. Of course. But you can't... If you're honest, here in 2020, when you watch that scene, there's quite a lot of, you know, limitations in the, in the way the shots are done. There was no CG at the time, of course. Um, so there are some of the, you know, the rear projection or what, however they did those shots, you know, there's a little, they're incredible. It's still, I still get a, a buzz out of it to this day. It's amazing. But, uh, there are shots that look, you know, where the, the limitations of the technology are a bit uh, noticeable. No such problems in this episode. The, the way that they, um, took off so aggressively and just like just acid dropped off that that cliff. I mean, I I couldn't believe that moment where two of them managed to fucking stack it and explode like within three seconds of getting out of there. Now, I wonder I wonder what the like the intention behind that shot was. Was it a kind of like that kind of thing of like remember how dangerous these bikes are? Well, here's some exa- uh, some evidence. Is that it, or? Is it more like, um, was it supposed to be like a, a kind of a comedic thing? Like, pff, look at these scout troopers, like, they only just uh, launched and they've managed to wipe two of themselves out already. I don't know. Uh, but it looked super cool in the way that they moved and um, that like, I mean, the designs are reproduced to perfection. I mean, that's such a cool look. Steel Saunders, his favorite trooper is a scout trooper. And I understand why. Because hot diggity. So, so, so awesome. And yeah, just seeing those classic um, Imperial um, speeder bikes. Just, yeah, that makes my day. Um, that was a cool, yeah. So that was a cool sequence. Um, I loved, uh, you know, Grief Cargo on the cannons was cool. Um, again, just to see, um, you know, I think uh, TIE Fighters looking pretty much like cinema quality to my eyes um, was cool. Now, and then the run-in from uh, the Razor Crest to get them out of the shit at the end of that chase was killer. And that was put together so nicely um really like exciting really dynamic um i love they've done it in a couple of episodes i love how they um like how din jaron will like kill the engines to um to do certain maneuvers with the razor crest that was super cool so cool to see uh classic imperial tie fighter pilots those shots of the actual explosions happening within the cockpit, those I felt looked a little bit budget restricted to, to, to my you know to my eyes. That's what it looked like, but it was kind of cool to see anyway. I liked it. Um, but yeah, that uh, final move where he uh, stalls the uh, the Razor Crest and then heads in to destroy that last Tie Fighter. Really, really good. I just think um, when you look at, for example, episodes four or chapters four and five, 
um, I felt that those were noticeably like kind of more smaller episodes than the first three or the last two, for example, uh, of the season. And now like we're kind of like in the middle of the season where you could imagine like the smaller episodes would be, but the scale of this again was, um, you know, as big as the finale of last season. So, um, that bodes well for the future, I would say. Um, then, of course, that leads us to a couple of big, big moments in the end, actually, after all the action is over. Um, let's start with that um, the X, the Republic X Wing pilot doing his duty out, out in the outer rim again. Um, he is great. I've not seen his show, uh, Kim's Convenience or whatever it's called, but uh, I loved him in, ep- in the second episode of this season. I loved him in this episode. I think he is exactly the right choice for the um, for an X-Wing pilot. He just like, it feels like this, you know, there's a, a real sense of like goodness to him. Um, and he doesn't look super, too cool but he looks kind of cool so um yeah i love that guy and what a thrill for him since he is a super star wars fanatic himself in the real world so um congratulations to him i don't know his name but uh awesome um anyway that conversation he has with cara dune like all right, I've already you know said that I have reservations about Cara Dune, the design of the the visual design of the character, and with Gina Carano's um, acting. But that conversation was excellent, actually, and Gina was really good in like most of that conversation, especially now that this line where. He brings up that she's from Alderaan. And he asks her, did you lose anyone? And I I knew exactly that the line that was going to come next because it was the only thing they could have put in. And it's so perfect, you know. Um, Did you lose anyone? I lost everyone. I actually teared up, which is pretty good for a character that I don't really like, you know. Um, but I think it's like in some ways I think uh, you know Star Wars should avoid getting too real world about the emotional implications of all this you know stuff that's gone on you know like when people say like oh it's a bit ridiculous in episode 4 when like Leia's whole planet gets blown up and then like 5 minutes later she's comforting Luke about his karate teacher that he's known for a day and a half dying you know yeah uh, yeah but it's star wars and so it's, i don't think it's great to get too bogged down in the like oh i'm so sad because this happened and i've got ptsd now or you know i i'm not sure that that's what star wars is but having said that um you know the fact that uh, she's put spent so much energy and so much of her life fighting the empire and you get that kind of like background to that aspect of her i like that 
I thought that was cool. Mm. And a, just a really, yeah, nicely put together scene. Um, and then the last big moment was, of course, Mos, Moff Gideon, his reveal in that room. You know, again, like, I just think, you know, people talk about silhouettes in Star Wars a lot, saying, you know, like, especially with stuff like ship design, like an X-Wing, you can, like, draw five lines on a piece of paper and people are going to recognize what it is. And I think that as that, that door opened and you see him with the cloak, it's just like, ah, that's Star Wars goodness right there. Now, what's he got in that room? Are they droids? Are they some kind of like... I thought at first they were death troopers, but they're not. Um, of course, people have said, and there's some there's something about the... Um, what's it called? A audio descriptive ver- uh, setting, or you know, basically for people who can't see that well, you can set it so that there's a description of what's happening on screen going. Um, and they actually call them shadow troopers. I think is it shadow troopers? Dark troop? No, dark troopers. I think they're called. I don't know. But this is uh, potentially some kind of reference to something from a video game or whatever. Uh, I had never heard of them before. Um, but yeah, I could be cool. I think that. If we are hooking up with uh, Ahsoka Tano in the next episode, that you need some something, a, a good threat for her to deal with. And um, if they are droids, that's cool, I guess. Um, but if they are, for example, some of these subjects that they've injected with the baby Yoda blood... Um, that would be cool, but then yeah, yeah. Like why they were all just standing in these racks in this room, and it to me it's a bit. Um, that would be weird if there were actual like organic sentient beings in those suits just standing there. It would make more sense, I guess, if they were droids, but not necessarily. You never know. But um, yeah, that was cool. I liked that uh, that Imperial officer that was on his ship. She was cool. Hmm. So altogether, um, yeah, I would say that um, again, I miss the polish of the first two episodes of the season. I'm a bit. Um, I'm a bit snobby, I guess. I guess um, those two episodes were done by, you know, like feature film directors, John Favreau and um, Peyton Reed. And then these most recent two have been done by people with uh, not that degree of uh, of experience. Um, and to me, it's a little bit noticeable. Next episode is going to be a big one. I mean, it's... As far as everybody's concerned, this is where we meet Ahsoka Tano finally. Um, but it's directed by Dave Filoni, who, you know, is still relatively new to live action. He did two episodes of the first season. Those two episodes, I thought, were two of the weakest. So, I'm, I don't know, I'm a bit... Um, 
uh, yeah, I don't know. He could knock it out the park, of course. And I think, like, overall, this season has been just, like, really good. And I think better than the first season. So, potentially, he will be carried along on that wave. Um, but I'm also a bit apprehensive. Just because I'm not sure that Dave is an amazing live-action director yet. Although, um, the more Clone Wars I watch... The warmer, I mean, I've always loved Dave, but the warmer my feelings towards Dave get. And there's his segue. Let's talk about the Clone Wars, just after I drink some water. Where's my water bottle? I read him back. So, um, yep, the Clone Wars re chronological rewatch rolls on. Um, man. So the opening episodes of, I think, where am, what am I on? Season four? Hmm. Anyway, like the last uh, episodes of season three, which was the, you know, the ones with the, um, uh, Trandoshans hunting Ahsoka and whatnot. I mean, those episodes are visually 11 out of 10, like Luscious looking. Amazing. Um, and then that goes into, I guess, the beginning of season four with the, you know, the um, Mon Calamari episodes. And I think if, like, if you had described those episodes to me before I saw them, I would have been like, okay, this is like literally my least favorite kind of Star Wars. Um, but you know what? I got into them. I really liked them. Now... You know, the problems are, I think, like, visually, like, extremely colorful, and I never think that that is a good look for Star Wars. Um, a lot of the characters, like, one of the main characters is a prince, and so he's wearing these, like, prince clothes, and I just... I don't know. I just... I, I don't think it's within the original trilogy visual style, and so, I, you know, it, I mean, it's within the prequel visual style, but I don't like that style, so... But it, I didn't hate it. Um, Riff Tamsin having a shark is like basically a shark man. I should I should not like that because um, it's stupid, <laughs> you know. But um, actually, I thought like the voice actor who played him did a great job. And then like when he attacks people, he's like extremely aggressive and really vicious, and he makes this kind of like <gasps> like <coughs> oh my god, I almost killed myself. This sound that he makes when he attacks people is like super hardcore, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, and of course, you know, you got uh, at that time, he was still a captain at that point, Captain Akbar. Um, yeah, it's cool to see. And I think it was, um, you know, the, the little bit of like political stuff where, you know, the Quarren kind of made a power play by hooking up with the separatists, but it ended up, you know, understanding that they had made a mistake. It was good. Um, and again, like, I just, when I think about the, the number, like, the number of hours that must have go into these, these, like, animated shows when they're this high quality, like, it's pretty daunting, man. <laughs> it's like, 
there's so much detail, visual detail in them, and um, yeah, it's really like it looks expensive. So um, yeah, this is um, it is to me. It's like proof that the Clone Wars um, is is good stuff because I don't like this era very much. I don't even like underwater stuff in general. It's just not my thing, and like. I just, I think, you know, if you had, as I said, if uh, if you had described this to me before I saw it, I think I would have been like, that sounds terrible. But um, I really enjoyed it. And it's cool that, uh, yeah, I think we're, man, we're getting closer to the mall, the return of Darth Maul, which um, will be really exciting. Uh, another thing that has been fun is the uh, Star Wars Lego Holiday Special. It's I think it was like forty something, forty-seven minutes or something. If you've seen Star Wars Lego stuff before, you know what uh, what the what the vibe is there. I was actually overjoyed to be reunited with Ray, Finn, Poe, um, uh, Rose, Tico, and BB-8. Like, I love those characters. I love them. Um, I just, you know, like I, I miss them already, you know, and I was so, it was so nice to be back with them. I thought the concept of this, you know, this key that, um, allows you to travel through time and space was really clever. Uh, I love seeing all these different, um, eras and stuff and, um, yeah, I thought it was cute, fun, um, uh, pretty creative, a few like recycled jokes, it seems from other, you know, comedic stuff that we've seen before, but, um, overall I had a really good time. Uh, that was good stuff. Has there been anything else? No, not really. I think that's, uh, that's really been it. So let's do it. The Rise of Skywalker. I don't know. I would kind of like to finish it tonight. Let's see how tough I feel and if I have the, the, the energy. All right, here we go. All right, here it comes. Um, I'll forget where I'm up to. Let's see where we are. Oh, yeah, we're on Exegol. God bless you, Poe Dameron. All right, this, uh, as, as I've said, uh, this assault on this freaking Star Destroyer, I think it just is not that cool. Um, but you get to see Sith Troopers, they're good. But this is, see, this is really interesting. I've been watching Mandalorian all day. And now, to flip straight over to The Rise of Skywalker, it's interesting for me to get a bit of a sense of, like, visually, what's the difference? What's the difference between a Star Wars TV show and a Star Wars movie? Or those two specifically. I think that... Um, uh, like this was shot on film. And The Mandalorian, I, I'm assuming, was shot digitally. So the film grain... Like it makes a big difference, I think. Like it's less crisp. It's a lot less crisp looking. You can really like see the film grain. Um... And to me, that that gives a. I think it. 
It looks better. Like to me, the, the this film look it looks better. I'm sure you could actually just like fake. I'm sure there are filters and stuff, you know, where you can just like put it over digital um, digital footage to uh, give it this film green look. But um, I I do prefer it to the like I think like the one thing with the Mandalorian why it doesn't feel perfectly perfect Star Wars to me is that it's a bit too crisp looking. Um, and I think that some of the environments, the cockpits, you don't, it, it's harder to sell them because they look a bit more like stuff that's been built, you know, by uh, film crews. But, um, so yeah, it's interesting to switch directly over to the, uh, to the Rise of Skywalker now with, uh, the look that it, ha <clears throat> that it has. We've got Palpatine and Ray facing off. We've got the ah, oh, yeah, Ray's refusing to play ball with the Emperor, but he opens up the roof of his Exegol pyramid thingamajig, and she sees her friends getting their asses handed to them in the skies above Exegol. Man. Yeah, it's it's good. Like as I've said, it's not my f absolute favorite uh, ending to a Star Wars film, really. But hmm, uh, and it is a little bit like. I mean, we saw this in Return of the Jedi. Obviously, he pulled the same thing on Luke. But ah, here we go. Bring it on! Here comes Ben Solo. He sees her X-Wing. I love it. I mean, I've heard so many people say the same thing, that they, they're sad that they didn't get more time with Ben Solo because he's a really attractive character. Um, I would throw in a John Oliver quote here, but I can't think, I can't remember one. Oh, this moment where, um, <laughs> where Ben Solo leaps through that hole and lands on that giant chain... And he just drops the little owl, <laughs> which, you know, revealing his kind of the humanity that has been missing from him. Uh, super good. We've got this thing with uh, Finn and Janna with the cannon. I, I just like, this is, I think that it's, it's pretty weak, to be honest. But man, this, we're back with the, the Emperor on his weird medical crane thing so cool we just saw the ben solo no look sh shot at the uh, that imperial guard i think i read somewhere that that was his idea you know to kind of like and i think if it had been on its own it, it would have sucked but because it's like a callback to han solo from episode 7 then i'm i'm into it okay we've got Ben versus the um, the Knights of Ren. It's like it's it's good, um, but I think I'm like I love the Knights of Ren visually so much that I I feel like they that could have. I just want more of them. 
want more of them for sure. Um, but this is one of the kill, most killer moments of the film. Palpatine's roaring, um, and you just have this amazing thing where Ray. She can sense that Ben's there, and he can sense that... Ah, oh, it's magic! Come on, how can you not love this? This is pure Star Wars awesomeness. Do it. Make the sacrifice. She puts the saber behind her head. Guess what? She's actually done the, uh, you know, done the... The, the magic force time thing, but with the lightsaber. And, yeah. Then it's Ben Solo with the Skywalker saber unleashing. Now, this scene, this is where, like, Rey is uh, against these Imperial guards, and she's, like, deflecting bolts with her hands and stuff. It's a little bit... It's not super clear visually. Oh, man. See, watching this now, I just feel like I want to watch this movie again. Ah. Once I've finished the Clone Wars rewatch, I think I'm going for the full the full saga rewatch, minus the prequels. Start with Solo and have myself a good time. This is great. Come on. Seeing them together at last on the same team. Both of them holding blue lightsabers up. Stand together, die together. Mm. Now, this, I really agree with a lot of the criticisms. Palpatine had no idea about the diet in the Force thing. He had no idea that by bringing them together, he could actually heal himself, bring himself back. Why did they not? plan ahead plan this out properly so that like this could be his this could have been his whole end game from the beginning like that he knew that this this clone body was not working and that he but he could feel in the force that this dyad existed and he had to bring them together in order to you know and they think that they're going there to fe to defeat him but they're just playing into his hands cuz he can just Bring them together so he can like heal himself is exactly what he wants. Okay, now we have the the death of Snap Wexley, sadly. Which now I care about since I've listened to interviews with Greg Grumberg. <laughs> Man, but like Yeah. Again, like visually the Exegol stuff is Nice. But I just love, like, like, when you see how... When you see the detail on Poe's helmet, and it's, like... It's just the right amount of, like, wear and grime and stuff. Looks incredible. Here it is! Here's the Lando, there's more of us moment, which was totally spoiled in the fucking trailers. Seriously, I'm not sure that I'll ever experience this moment properly. Because it just got... But it also it's a little bit like the number of ships. It's almost like comedy level ridiculous. Because it's like a, literally a billion spaceships in the air. I don't know. I don't know. I think that moment maybe is going to work for me better as time goes on. Just because... 
Ah, Wedge is here. Yeah. I would have I could have uh, done with a bit more of that. It's weird. Now when I'm watching this, it's like this is working for me. First order crew. I like how uh, General Pride's tunic has this kind of um, almost like a kimono look to it. That's cool. Here we got Zori. She made it off uh, Kijimi with the best character ever, Babu Freak. Listen to this. Yes! Hey! Babu Freak, best thing ever. Okay, we're back uh, in Palpatine's lair. Now, a lot of people have commented on this. Not only is he, like, healed, but he's healed into, like, like, like he's got a, he had a costume change. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to put that down to just, like, well, Star Wars logic. Who cares? I just, like, every, every second that Palpatine is on, sta on, on screen, I'm having a good time. This bit of dialogue is a little bit on the nose. Just says, I once fell, so falls the last Skywalker. I think they could have done that in a less obvious way, just like, uh, you know. Mm. Okay, this was one of the highlights of the IMAX experience in the cinema. Palpatine launching that force lightning into the into the heavens. I just remember the whole cinema basically just vibrating like <laughs> was fucking awesome should one guy be able to produce this much sith lightning ah maybe not i don't know it's cool though i'm all right with it but this is um here we go oh the way Oh my god. Okay, this is going to get slightly personal for a second. The, the, the shot that we just had of Ray with a single tear running from the corner of her eye. Uh, my I was married at one point. Her name was Rui. And Rui's best friend, Asuka, they would like had this kind of like thing that they talked about, this joke where, you know, when you're lying in bed and you're looking up at the ceiling and you're feeling really sad and you eyes st you start to tear up and you get the little tear that runs from the corner of your eye down and goes into your ear hole. Anyway, she called this tsun. So we used to say like, when you're having like that sad moment, you have a tsun moment. <laughs> Very nice. All right. This moment where Ray finally is able to... Ray's eyes and my eyes are about the same color. I have to meet Daisy Ridley sometime. We can compare eye color. All right. But this uh, moment with the, the, the voices of the Jedi. It doesn't land a thousand percent for me, but it's all right. A lot of people have said, why couldn't they have physically been there? I think if you're finishing up, if you're thinking from the perspective of finishing the saga. That's not a that would have been cool, but. It's important to have to let Rey have her moment. She's the hero of this trilogy. Um, and the fact that I love that character so much means that I'm happy to have it that way. I, don't, I didn't need to see 
Anakin Skywalker and Qui-Gon Jinn and Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi all standing there. I think that could have been, that could have turned out pretty cheesy if they had done it wrong. Now we've got Yes, Ray attacking Palpatine allows um, allows the Resistance fleet to get back on its feet. Oh, there's a rhyme. Fucking hell, man. I love this movie. Like, mm, Star Wars rules. <laughs> I am all the Sith. Here it comes. And I am... I'm um, all the Jedi. Bam! Yeah. Like, it kind of sucks because you're just like, I mean, Palpatine is like, this is the third time this has happened to him. When is he going to learn? I don't know. I've been too dumb to learn stuff three th times in a row, at least a few times in my life. I'm pretty sure. Um, It's good. I, I like it. And then there's just like total devastation where... This entire just place gets demolished. All the Sith occultists are just flattened. Now, a point on editing here. I thought this was a, excuse me, a huge mistake. You've got the death of Palpatine after nine movies. He finally dies. And they don't let the moment sit at all. They cut directly to bloody... Finn connecting some fucking wire thing so they can shoot the thing on the Star Destroyer and blow up whatever. I'm just like, dude, they, they defeated the, it's like this evil that has been plaguing the galaxy for decades. And you cut to Finn con plugging something in? Like, not a good cut. Now, I still feel that way to some extent. But... The thing is, um, like, that's a huge moment, the death of Palpatine. It should be given some space and some air to breathe. But it's actually not the emotional climax of this sequence. The emotional climax is Ben saving Rey and sacrificing himself. And that sequence does get the space it needs. So maybe it's fine the way it is. Um, here we go. Man, I had a lot of, uh, lot of thoughts and emotions racing through my head at this point when I was watching the film. I, I really felt like it was possible that Ray could die here. Um, I just think it would have been, it would have been a gutsy move. Pretty cool end to the film, I think. Um, am I... Am I glad... The way the soundtrack works here. Where it's just like... Oh, I'm going to turn it up a bit. Where it like builds... Where it like starts from that... Ben Solo's hand coming out of that... Uh, out of that uh, hole in the ground. And it builds. This moment where he just like. He's 
drops and sees her face, you know, looking dead for that first time, and he just pauses for a second, like, so good. I think this whole this whole sequence is really lovely. I just feel like oh, I just might like my heart goes out to Ben Solo here. Like he's been lost for years, and finally, this woman has brought him back, and now she's gone. But finally, he has oh, this look in his eyes when he like ah, oh, I love it. Hmm. Look at that look in his eyes. It's magic. But in, he's learned his lesson by this point. He knows what he has to do. And he's going to sacrifice himself to bring Ray back. I think it's a good choice. He has to be... He has to sacrifice himself in some way, I think, at the end of this. It would have been gutsy to let Ray go at the end of this story, you know. In a way, like, that kind of final end to Palpatine, there should be a price for that. But this, come on. Listen to this. That smile, come on, Ben, that's... And then Kylo, or Ben. His look at the look on his face. Now, the kiss was controversial. Some people, like, really hated it. I felt like if I sit here and think about it too much, maybe I can, like, have problems with it. But it just... It just felt right to me in that moment. And then Ben's smile and he realized Ray's going to be all right. And they're together at the end. And he disappears. Hmm. Should he have disappeared? Isn't that just for like Jedi Masters? But at the same time, Leia's body disappears as well. It's all right. And we get these great shots of huge chunks of Star Destroyers falling on the surface of Exegol. ILM, take a bow. I mean, the all these five um, Star Wars films have been incredibly, incredible looking. Red five is in the air. Ray's alive. I love this addition to um, the visual style of the, of, uh, of ships, where they have these kind of like trails coming off them. I just think that adds some really nice movement and some really nice. Um, yeah, we see Bespin. That's cool. Come on. Cloud City. We see Endor and Wicked and Wicked's Child. And someone did the Holdo maneuver on that Star Destroyer, even though apparently it's a one in a million. Yeah, make your minds up, fellas. And we see Jakku. I mean, I'm into that. I really like, I have like a, 
I have genuinely um, warm feelings for Jakku now. And we have the uh, the slightly too good looking resistance. <laughs> Sorry, I just think rebel soldiers and resistance people should be not very cool. Well, they should be a bit cool, but not too cool. <laughs> this part had its uh, detractors. I kind of—I remember—I laughed in the cinema though, where uh, Poe sees Zori Bliss and he tries to make the move a little bit, but she's like, "Not likely, mate." And there we have the first same-sex kiss in on screen in Star Wars. Um, not very satisfying for those who wanted more. Um, I feel a bit like... You kind of have to... Pick your battles a little bit. And that's like... That's the first step. And we're going to see more... You know, non-straight romance in Star Wars as time goes on, and but we are living in a world where the where the um, the backlash against anything like that is still pretty vicious. So unfortunately, I think they do have to take it step by step in some ways, or they could just say "fuck it" and go for it, of course, which would be pretty cool. Now, this scene between Janna and Lando is pretty bewildering. Was she his daughter? Was she not? Is Lando trying to pick her up in this scene? Why is it? I mean, you're with your main characters, Finn and Poe and Rey, getting out of the X-Wing and reuniting with BB-8, and it's a bit like... Why why put that there? Like it just felt unnecessary. I think it would have been a nice run just straight through just those three main characters looking for each other and finally finding each other and realizing and or knowing that they all survived. Great stuff. <laughs> All right, and now here we go. We're going into the very final sequence. <laughs> Udini, love it. Uh, man, the Mandalorian has really put the Utini levels. Of, I just love Jawas now. I always loved them, but man, I really I love them even more now. And I just, oh, I just love this. I love like, I love going full circle. Here we are back uh, on the moisture farm on Tatooine. We have this Ray sliding down the hill just like she did when we first met her in The Force Awakens. I just like, I mean, watching this, I'm like pumped to watch this trilogy again. I just love these characters so much. 
And it just makes me happy because Star Wars could be a very frozen in time thing, you know. I'm 44, it could be pure nostalgic nostalgia for me, but um, I'm happy that these new films have meant so much to me because it proves that as time goes on, there can be more. That mo means a whole lot to me again and again. Yeah, the way she buries Luke and Leia's lightsaber there, it's cool. You know, some people have said, well, why wasn't it bloody Naboo or something? I don't know. Come on. This is where it all began. This is where it should end. It's perfect this way. Ray's golden bladed lightsaber looks cool. Um, good design on that. And here we have this woman and her not EOP, some other kind of creature. Who are you? I'm Ray. Ray who? She looks over, sees the ghosts of Luke and Leia. Bring in the John Williams. Come on. Drop it, Daisy. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I like it. And I love this BB-8 with the BB-8 setting suns. Ah, so into this. Dude, I'm legit sad it's over now. Ah, oh. but the good news, it's nice to finish this. I've been doing this since the first episode, I guess. Um, so it's time to move on to... Uh, yeah, doing scene by scene... On another film. Um, I'm going to have to think on that. And decide which one I want to do next. But um, yeah. Mm. I'm so happy that I'm like pumped to uh, watch the Star Wars films again. I've been... Um, I was listening to the Rogue One soundtrack the other day. And just thinking about how much I've come to love that film so much more than than when it first came out and um how nice it is to have that as another favorite now and um yeah so let's see maybe after um i think around the time i finish up the mandalorian season two so that'll be in december Clone Wars, my Clone Wars rewatch might be ending around then as well, and then it'll be time, maybe around Christmas, it'll be time to take the ride again from the beginning. Start from Solo, go into Rogue One, the original trilogy, and then uh, the sequel trilogy. Great. Hmm. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Gentlemen and ladies, thank you for listening. This has been a pretty long episode, so if you made it this far, I really appreciate it. Feel free to reach out to me and um, with any questions or thoughts or whatever, I'd love to have pe everyone's um, input. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. My name is Tom Sutton. This is Star Wars Fun for Everyone, especially me. Ah!